Welcome to the Harrington Star FinTech Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Discussions. I want to showcase people across our industry who are advocates for change. I love to celebrate the wins, but we know there is so much more to be done to ensure that change actually happens to build a truly inclusive industry. In these diversity, equity and inclusion discussions, I have a number of series. The Humans of FinTech, The Talent Surgery, The Maternity and Paternity Stories, and the longest running of all, the Women of FinTech podcast series. I do lots of work to drive change campaigns across our industry to increase inclusion within the workplace. So please contact me to see how we can partner together. You can contact me through LinkedIn or on my email, nadia.edwards-dashti at harringtonstar.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Humans of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges, and walk the talk for change across the entire industry. Today, we are joined by Emily Nicole, a fintech correspondent at Dow Jones. As a fintech correspondent at Financial News, a Dow Jones publication focused on London and Europe's financial services sector, Emily has a unique insight to the industry and is passionate about making it more inclusive. So she's here today to share her story and some of the learns along the way. Emily, welcome. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me here. So tell us about your role and what it entails. So at Dow Jones, I work for, as you said, Financial News, which is a London-based publication. We work alongside you know, the Wall Street Journal, and Barron's and Market Watch here in London. And I am the fintech correspondent, which means I cover everything within fintech from the digital banks all the way up to crypto and increasingly more and more crypto these days. It seems like it's taking over. But within that, I think we do a lot of taking a good lens on what life is like in the city for people who work in these industries. And so part of that, a lot of the things that I have written this year have been about like diversity and inclusion initiatives, what it's like to be LGBTQ in the fintech space, and also how firms are catering to more diverse groups. So whether or not fintech firms are adequately marketing their products to different people and several missteps therein. Really fascinating stuff. And, and this, is, this is everything that I, I want us to have a better better way of showcasing to people outside the industry because you know you, you've you've touched upon it there. There's so much that people are looking to do, um, but I suppose it's about making sure that happens. Before we go into um, some of the bits of advice that you could give, take us back, share your career journey, and what you love about your field. So I started out, well, I did a master's in um, religion, actually, at King's College London. So I was never planning to be a journalist, Um, but I kind of fell into it because I started doing some research on the side while I was finishing my thesis for a fintech news site called AltFi, which at the time was quite small, but is now, I guess, growing and growing. They're quite popular. And I turned that into a reporter job once I graduated. I was there for a little bit before then moving to City AM, which is a London business newspaper. Um, where I started as a tech reporter and by the time I left in 2020 I was the technology editor and night editor so I did both tech news and I oversaw the print production. That was a really great place to work, it was really good for kind of getting your head down and being put through your paces because reporters at CityM work really hard to get the amount of content that they get out in a really good concise 
and descriptive way. Um, and the paper was always a favorite among people that I spoke to, at least in London businesses. So that was always good. And then, yeah, in, in 2020, September, I moved over to Dow Jones to do FinTech as my sole focus full time. So go back to my Altfi roots. And I was in that role for about a little over a year. And I will soon be moving in January, actually, to write about crypto some more for Bloomberg. So that's very exciting. So crypto is definitely taking over in your world, for sure, uh, let alone the wider world. Um, So just with all this exposure and experience that you've had, it'd be great for you just to give us um, some advice. And, And what advice would you give to others about the fintech industry? If you're a person who's thinking about joining fintech, I would say go for it. I feel like a few years ago, it was still very much seen as a risk taking the step. You would only really ever see like CEOs of big companies then think about, you know, oh, maybe it's time for a trial. I'll have have a go at a fintech startup or or things like that happening. Or, you know, there's like really bold and brash 20 year old entrepreneurs who managed to achieve feats that most of us never could. But now fintech is a really big industry. It's the largest part of the UK tech sector and has been for several years. It's, I guess what we like to say is like, it's the shining jewel in the UK's tech crown. So I think it's a really great place to forge a career. What I would say in terms of advice is to really do your due diligence on the kind of company you're working for. We've seen a lot of stories over the years about cultural issues at companies, especially those that are really fast growing. So if you join one that's been going from headcount from like 200 one year to a thousand the next there are going to be some workplace issues that come with that always no matter what the sector so really try and do your homework and make sure it's a really good cultural fit for you and also have a think about where you'd like to start your career journey but don't make that your final point because so often people who join fintech will start in one part of the business and end up in a completely different one a few years later i feel like fintech is an industry where it's super collaborative and super focused on training staff to do what they really enjoy and do it really well so you could start off as a product manager and some in one sec in one section of the business and then quickly move over to doing engineering or operations or something else another part of the business just because of who you know and what projects you get to work on that might actually be the way that business is going in general these days as we all work from home but increasingly in fintech i think that's a really good thing so always be open to the opportunities I think that's really good advice. And and just taking that a bit further, when, when we talk about the individual's experience within the sector, tell us a bit more about your work in driving inclusion, because inclusion isn't only about gender. Tell us more. Yeah, so I um, I identify as LGBTQ. I'm, an, I'm a lesbian working in journalism, but fintech has been my bread and butter for my entire career, really. And my experience has always been that fintech companies are the most diverse in the city. They have a really large LGBTQ plus community. A lot of the staff identifies as queer or, or otherwise. Um, and interestingly, when I've then gone to report on that or like talk to people about their experiences, actually very little research has been done on that. So I did a series, a two-part series for FN in early 2021 for LGBT History Month about the experiences of queer people in fintech, um, mostly in London, but also some from abroad. And that went from startups like Chainalysis and some of the new LGBT startups that are coming out like Daylight, which is a digital bank in the US exclusively for queer people, all the way up to executives at the FCA um, and, and places like Eigen Technologies. So that was a really interesting series. But when doing the research for that, I found that there were really no stats out there on 
how many LGBT people are in fintech, um, what their needs are. Um, and so despite the fact that companies are really seeking to champion diversity and inclusion and do more to make sure that those people feel included in their workplace and that everything is, is a very comfortable environment for them to be in, um, actually, nobody's really doing the numbers on it. Um, which, as we know, is kind of a vital part of being able to make sure your diversity inclusion strategy is very solid and is comprehensive. So in doing that, I learned from several people about, you know, how it's still very difficult to feel comfortable at work and coming out. And quite often people just choose not to because it, it saves them the hassle. But then also there are lots of examples where people have found that actually, you know, being working from home, for example, has been good because it just means nobody really has to has to make accommodations for you in the way they might do in an office, for example, having the appropriate toilets available. So I guess the pandemic has been a big transformational area in that way, but there's still a lot to be done by companies on LGBTQ plus inclusion, especially in the workplace. And what it will really take is someone to do the data. I couldn't agree with that um, more, like totally. Like I do a lot of work talking with different businesses on how you shift the needle, how you not just talk about how you want to be inclusive, but you implement correct policies. And those policies are turned into day-to-day practice, not just a shiny policy that no one really follows. And I couldn't agree more with what you're saying in terms of what is the data and are we measuring this? Um, and and actually, are we are we building psychological safety so that we can measure this appropriately? You know, there's lots of things that need to be considered here. And a company that I just want to do a shout out to on this topic would be Capital on Tap because they are they are measuring and they are supporting. And I'm I'm so proud to know that company in terms of what they're doing for their people, especially with regards to that particular subject. But while we're here. What do you think, and I've mentioned policies, but what do you think are the policies that need changing to allow for this authentic inclusion to happen within the industry? I'd say a really big one at the moment is actually around self-ID. So self-ID is something that has been in UK law for quite a long time, allowing people to say the gender that they identify as, and that is the one accepted by a company. In 2021, we've seen the FCA, the PRA and the Bank of England say that they're going to start making sure that companies put their diversity metrics front and centre, and that actually they will start making rules so that if a company is falling behind on diversity metrics, that actual action become goes with that so you know companies could have their their executives could have their pay docs if they're not meeting certain targets and obviously when we talk about diversity inclusion that usually just means women <laughs> and ethnic minorities but the, but there are also people pushing for that to mean lgbtq plus people as well and when it comes to self-id there have been some people in the city who have told publications that they feel that you know what is the risk that some people will just say on their form that even though they identify as a man, they just put woman on the form to get the number up and then, you know, the, everything will happen and they won't get penalised the way they could if, if the, once these rules come into force from the FCA and, and others. But to be honest, I, I'm not sure that's actually going to be the case. I can't think of anybody who would consider doing that just for the sake of their diversity metrics. And self-ID, as I said, has been part of UK law for several years. It's the standard adopted by most companies and most regulators most government bodies and so I think what's important for companies is to make sure that people feel comfortable to be themselves when they come to work and that self-ID is a protected right and they should be able to say how they identify and have that be accepted and not challenged and and so that's one of the biggest things I think because at the moment we have we have a lot of discourse in the media about you know who should be able to access what toilet and should 
we have protected rights for those who don't feel comfortable sharing spaces with others and I think at, at the the forefront of what companies should be thinking about in their diversity policy or at least inclusion policy should be how do we make it comfortable enough for everyone and with that comes the ability to to say who you are and have it accepted yeah I couldn't have said that better myself and totally agree with what you're saying there so just as an extension of that question what would you say is your call to action to the listeners to to people within the fintech and financial services space with regards to what more we should all be doing for genuine authentic workplace inclusion Actually, my call to action would be something different, um, which is about, I think when it comes to diversity inclusion, training is always what comes to people's front of mind. It's always, you know, how do we get more staff aware of different issues? Um, they'll do things like hold presentations for events like Pride Month or LGBT History Month. But within that, that generally tends to be the case where they ask the LGBTQ plus identifying people within the company to do those jobs. So they'll say, okay, you might be a project manager in this area of the business, but you're queer, so you can lead the presentation for LGBT History Month, or you can inform colleagues over in this part of the business about how they should speak to certain people and what pronouns they can use. That is a massive source of emotional labor for queer people, which I think companies don't often appreciate because it's kind of a like, they don't want to offend anybody. So they think it's better just to get someone from the LGBTQ community to run those things, which on the one hand does make sense, but it's also a massive ask of those people to continually have to out themselves to everybody, explain how they want to be spoken to, have to inform everyone of what our history is like and what our daily lives are like and the problems that we can experience in the workplace. So I think a lot of what I would say in terms of a course for action is actually just about asking people that aren't queer to do a lot of the learning themselves to try and teach themselves about what the community needs in terms of respect and workplace accommodations because too often that onus is just put on us LGBTQ plus people to tell the others that and that emotional labour isn't often recognised. That's really really helpful to hear that and everyone listening to this um, I, I really I think these call to action questions are so important because I don't just want people listening to these podcasts for the 15, 20 minutes and all that's great, but actually to go and do something off the back of that. That's why I always introduce these as let's walk the talk. Let's not just talk the talk. And I know it's a bit ironic because it's a podcast that you're listening to and we're talking, but it's about the action that follows that. So it's been absolutely brilliant listening to you today. I think you've left us with actions that we can take away and do things with it. And thank you so much for joining us on the Humans of Fintech podcast series. Thanks for having me.